Camera。Welcome to Disney Animation Minute Essentials, where we are diving into Disney's The Little Mermaid one minute at a time. I'm Andrew Dorowski, and I'm Kestra Dorowski. We are discussing Minute Number Two, which begins with a ship moving through the mist and scaring away the dolphins and seagull, and ends with one of the sailors saying to Grimsby, "I'm telling ya." Minute Number Two of The Little Mermaid features sailors singing "Fathoms Below." Eric enjoying the ocean, and a sailor explaining about King Triton. King Triton. Who's that?、Hmm. Will we learn? Yes. Yes, we will. We, we will. <laughs> Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Minute two. Minute two. We're on a roll. This is going great. <laughs> I love "Fathoms Below" as a song. It's so enjoyable. And I wish there was more of it in this. I know there's more in the Broadway version, and I just feel shortchanged by、There's... this one. It, okay, I definitely think that in the future, both in the Renaissance and the modern era, they do a better job with their opening songs、uh, really being impactful. Fathoms Below is no Circle of Life. Circle of Life is. The far superior kind of version of Fathoms Below. I guess Beauty and the Beast has Belle at the beginning, but I would not say that the same. That's the same kind of thing as yeah, because that、this. actually has a lot of story.、Uh, I mean, it, it's essential to the story. Yes, Circle of Life not essential to the story, but still a fantastic introduction to the Lion King. Fathoms Below not crucial to the story. It adds a little bit, but I'd say about as much as Circle of Life adds to. The full story of the Lion King. There's other examples. I'm also thinking specifically of Frozen、It's、as Frozen being kind、heart. of the the balance between. Yeah, Frozen Heart is kind of a shanty thing because it's their working song, and at the same time, it's showing some imagery that's going to be relevant to the film. And I'd say it's maybe a little closer to Fathoms Below than Circle of Life. Definitely. But, and and part of that might just be because it's the working song. It's it's a shanty style. You know, this is what they work to, and I think that's what's making it more similar. But it also, in both cases,、uh, Frozen Heart and Fathoms Below, I kind of want a little bit more, and I feel like I'm really missing out because Fathoms Below is very enjoyable. So Fathoms Below, it was it. During storyboarding and up till a certain point, it had a lot more lyrics. And actually, don't cut it, guys. This is the dream sequence from Snow White all over again. So,、uh, particularly one verse that everyone talks about is a verse that was deleted early on that talked about Ursula being King Triton's sister. Which do we get that at all in the film? In the film, no. But we get it in, in the Broadway musical.、Yes. Do we get it in any of the expanded films for Little Mermaid? Yeah, I know it hasn't come up. We've been watching the animated series for the Little Mermaid a bit here and there, and it hasn't come up in that.、I'm、trying to think, I think I read something that it may come up in one of them. But I know Ursula has an, a, a sister. sister that is a big part of the sequel. Uh, which we have not gotten a chance to see, which we really should.、Uh, 
Uh, we got to make sure we're up on all of the Little Mermaid lore. <laughs> but, as, okay, so in Fathoms Below, the expanded version, it talks about Ursula as King Triton's sister. Yes, but that particular verse was cut off um, pretty early on. I think the movie served well by that one. Yes, but the Being soundtrack that was released with The Little Mermaid, mm-hmm. it also it had Fathoms Below in it, but it had an extra verse. Which I think is what I've been listening to Spotify. Probably. Um, I've been hearing a longer version. Not much longer, just a verse longer. Yes. Because this, this one, the one that we hear in the film is really short. It's, I'd say half a verse. It's not even a full verse, really. It, all it says is... You, okay, yeah, let, let's hear it. But don't sing it because ASCAP will, will get us. I, I, I won't. We, we say it beforehand. We got this... I got the singing out of me, I think. <laughs> I'll tell you a tale of the bottomless blue, and it's hey to the starboard heave-ho. Look out, lad, a mermaid be waiting for you in mysterious fathoms below. Heave-ho, heave-ho, lots of heave-ho. Which is kind of, like, is that all we get? In mysterious and, fathoms below. And, and then there's, like, a little bit of talking to the music. Yes. But it's not it's not really singing the song. Okay. That's really short, and it deserves more. The extra half a verse i guess on the soundtrack just said fathoms below below from once wayward westerlies blow when triton where triton is king and his mer people sing in mysterious fathoms below okay so just mentioning king triton and kind of establishing a little bit of the world we're dealing with i do have some of the lyrics from the storyboard version and also from the demo that Howard Ashman and Alan Menken, who are the their demos are great. Getting some old demos is a music is a did, wonderful yes. thing. Okay, so Howard Ashman and Alan Menken wrote this one together. Uh, Alan Menken did all of the orchestration. Okay, and he's also the the score composer. Yes. for this one. And Howard Ashman did all of the lyrics for the okay. most part. They they work together yeah, really they, well. They they were a good collaboration team. Yes, and Alan Menken has, you know, continued with Disney and does a lot of both music and lyrics um, on his own. Unfortunately, we did lose Howard Ashman to AIDS in 1991, uh, and he worked with Alan Menken on Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. and then a little bit on Aladdin before he passed away. But he was always working on music. That was like his biggest passion. And he was amazing. And, and, I mean, these like, are great songs. <laughs> Little Mermaid is certainly well known for the music of the highest quality as far as the Renaissance goes. I mean, we the Renaissance is, it is in general, uh, a good history of Disney music. Uh, and and success with that, and Howard Ashman's uh, a good part of establishing that. Yes. Why don't you tell us what the the cut Ursula verse was like? It was the third stanza in the storyboard version of Fathoms Below, and throughout all of Fathoms Below in the storyboard version and every version that ever happened, there have been le- um, not lyrics. Uh, Lines in between, like Grimsby and, and Eric and the sailors all talking to each other. Okay. And this was the last one, right before it 
cuts off, basically. And it says, Fathoms below in the ocean lives Ursula, witch of the sea. She plots and she schemes and she wickedly dreams of the day that she'll return once more, return to rule the ocean floor. She wants to be queen of the bottomless blue and it's hay to the starboard heave-ho. So try and beware, there's a big and a Bruin, mysterious Fathoms below. I feel like the Triton Beware There's a Big and a Bruin is still in there somewhere in the in the current version. It's very possible. I feel like that that line sounds especially familiar. Um so or or some variation on it. So it doesn't say in that verse that she is the the, the sibling. sibling of King mm-hmm. Triton. But in the lines beforehand, the sailors are telling Grimsby and Eric that Ursula is the king of the ocean's sister. Okay. I don't know. I, I have no insight on all the decisions that were made to, to get us the current version of Fathoms Below. I have a little bit of history on shanties. Okay. Sea shanties uh, basically originated on mercantile marine vessels. In the 19th century, so the 1800s. And the goal is just to coordinate work so it's efficient. And so you have someone who's who's leading the singing and then people who chime in for chorus parts, like the heave-ho, heave-ho. And it gets everyone pulling on the rope at the same time or, or managing their work at the same time, keeping everything coordinated and orderly. Because when people work in an orderly fashion, it's more efficient and it's safer for everyone. So... That is a little history on shanties. I like heave-ho and fathoms below. <laughs> Not heave-ho. Fathoms below, I think, is a nice shanty. Yes, I agree. That they basically created for this film. Yes. It it adds a little bit of context to what the sailors know of mermaids and and what we might need to know as an audience, but not necessarily. So it but it still it adds a great shanty to the to yeah. the film it, it's a good opener and i think that's a good precedent for the rest of the disney renaissance to have kind of an opening song that gets you into the story it, it's the welcoming song yes uh which snow white didn't exactly have it it doesn't jump right into i'm wishing that's right. a little slower i believe that they were trying to go kind of for a Broadway feel with I, this. I, I've always heard that was the goal with the Renaissance was to establish a more Broadway feel than they'd ever had. Which made sense because uh, both Howard Ashman and Alan Minken had worked on Broadway stuff before it, particularly Howard Ashman. And he was the one that really wanted to drive this focus of Broadway. And so he, Broadway. he helped establish the, the Broadway pattern for, for the songs and... Breaks from songs. Like, how how many songs? Things like that. Yes. Well, it, it works. And throughout this movie, uh, Alan Menken certainly deserves credit for managing several different kind of styles uh, and kind of forming his own subgenre of music through this film. Where it's, like, it's Little Mermaid music. It all sounds like Little Mermaid. But none of it quite sounds like anything else, which we'll, we'll get to later on when we're talking about more of the songs. But also talking about Alan Menken, I wanted to mention that before the Renaissance, before they started working on The Little Mermaid, when they were doing music, they did it separately from from the animation and the storyboarding. Mm-hmm. But when it came to The Little Mermaid, they both the composer and, and lyricist worked with the animators and the directors 
to make it more of a center. Incorporated in the story. Mm -hmm. And make it more of a center of the film as well. And that's, that's a good instinct. So that's what I noted as well as when the, when in the beginning of this minute, when the big brass and bass instruments make that big. The crash with the, with the wave on the ship. Mm -hmm. I was, I didn't write that down, but I definitely took note of that was almost Fantasia like, yes. um, in how the, the imagery was matching the music and it was great. Yeah. I really enjoyed that moment where just this big wave crashes and you don't hear a wave crash. You hear a cymbal crash mm. and, and this big uh, push and swell of the music. And that's, I mean, also that that's Mickey Mousing, which is a classic Disney, you know, thing. We call it Mickey Mousing because of Disney. And it's where you don't really have sound effects. Instead, you have music conveying the, the nature of the sound effects, which we got plenty of in Snow White. Right. As, as well as actual sound effects. Right. It's not like they skimp on that. Uh, we meet Prince Eric, we meet Max, we meet Grimsby, and we meet the sailors. Yes. Max, what a good dog. Yeah, he is a, he is a great dog. He, I mean, I love dogs. What kind of dog is he? He's a sheep dog. But not like a, like a, he's... It's, it's a sheep dog. <laughs> okay, now I'm being ruined by the film Babe, because I thought... Those were sheepdogs. Or were they just sheepdogs because that was their job, but they're like border collies or something. Those are border collies. But they're also sheepdog. Yes, but Because this that's is... their job. This is a sheepdog. Like, the breed is called sheepdog. From as far as my dog knowledge okay. and my knowledge which is reading. Which is not small. <laughs> Kester loves dogs. And my reading of, of Little Mermaid, it has said that Max is a sheepdog. Max the sheepdog. On a ship. Yes. Not a lot of sheep on the boat. Yes. But... Okay, but he's, he's, I mean, he's so fluffy and his hair gets blown about and stuff, which must have been so difficult mm. all throughout the film. His hair is so long. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then Eric is just enjoying himself at the top of the boat or the ship uh, and letting his hair get blown about. Yes. Um, he's very much enjoying the, he the open it. sea. Yeah, he, he likes getting out there and feeling the, the wind and the salt and everything. I don't blame him. I enjoy some salty ocean air. Yes. It it, it does. It is a good thing. I, I like it, too. I've never been on a ship like that, though. No. Neither have I. I kind of hope to someday. <laughs> and to get that, that full effect that he's... Yes. I mean, he is, he is riding. You know, in this moment, he is just riding on the ship and enjoying himself. He's not... Working, he's not... I wouldn't say he's sailing. He he is a passenger in this moment. Uh, I, later on, he does work. He does work. He's part of the crew. Yes. Here. But in this moment, he is just riding the waves. Right. Uh, but the, act, the voice actor, Christopher Daniel Barnes, he was only 16 when he voiced the voice of Eric. The animators... What? Yeah, he's only 16. That's... That's amazing. They did. I mean, because he'd probably you'd you'd probably say Eric is maybe eighteen. He's supposed to be. I'm double checking. Uh huh. But is he uh, supposed to be a little older, like twenty one? Twenty one. I mean, I because I would have pegged him for. I mean, I considering the voice was sixteen. I would said maybe they're going for like eighteen, but twenty one also makes a lot of sense because of the responsibilities they talk about him having for 
um, needing to step up and and fulfill his his duties to the kingdom and things like that. But uh, having a sixteen year old do it is kind of surprising. Okay, so it does say he's eighteen, but I I did read somewhere that he was twenty one. So there's the a, ages are are very. There's a lot of kind of random facts that are going around on on the little mermaid we will talk about some of that probably next week we'll we'll really dig into a bit of that um it's been popular enough that people have wanted to talk about it a lot and all the people that have talked about it have not always been in agreement about things whether that be intentional or not we have some uh flexible facts that we deal with for uh this film in particular but i I would i would say 18 sounds about right maybe 19 or 20 but Mm -hmm. Um, being voiced by a 16 year old is very impressive because it, it's a good voice for what he needs to do. And it conveys a good amount of youth, but also a growing upness. The animators really felt that his voice wasn't a youthful voice. It wasn't young. Uh, They, they thought it was older than what other people who were 16 sounded like. Yeah. I would not, I, I wouldn't have said he's 16. But I think there's just enough of not quite being grown up. Exactly. Uh, which is a wonderful little feature. It's sort of like with, with Moana, they wanted someone who was Moana's age. Right. And they cast um, Alihi Corvalho. I've never heard anyone definitively say how to pronounce it. Um, but they, they cast her and she is Moana's age. And it, and it works great to have that authenticity to that. And I think... It's a technique that maybe they want to do more often. We also meet Grimsby. Yes. Uh, who is voiced by... Eric's very wiry butler or uh, attendant, valet, his guy. <laughs> yes. Eric, Eric's guy. Because Grimsby's always there. And he's... I mean, he is obviously... In some capacity, a servant for Eric. Right. But he is also but not like a low, low. No, he he is also obviously servant. in some capacity an instructor for Eric. I would not say he's his teacher, but he is his his chaperone. I think would be a a good term, at least in this context. He doesn't do a lot of chaperoning later, when maybe he should be, but in this case, he is here with Eric in order to take care of whatever he needs and whether that be bringing him food or telling him he needs to eat food. Uh, Grimsby's there for, for those purposes. Yes. Grimsby is voiced by Ben Wright, who died of brain cancer four months before the release of the film. That's a shame. So this was his last film, but he was a Disney veteran, right? Yes. He also voiced, Roger Radcliffe in 101 Dalmatians. So we'll, we'll be, be talking, talking about, about him, him later. later. And uh, he also voiced Rama in The Jungle Book. But okay. he's mostly per- known for Roger. And if you look at Grimsby next to there's Roger, there's similar features. features. The, uh, the, I think the large nose in particular and being awfully wiry. He is very narrow. Yes. And I don't know if they did that on purpose or not. Do you know if that at all was consistent with Ben Wright's appearance himself? Have you seen like his um, his headshot or anything? I I don't know. I didn't look that hmm. up. I should have. Well, he's he's in the movie, so we have a chance later on to but, to bring it yeah, up. Yeah. So the case. if you if you look at 
Roger maybe Radcliffe. Rad- Roger. Maybe it's Grimsby Radcliffe. Ooh. And it's just a direct descendant. <laughs> maybe. Uh, Grimsby is- just looks like a, a little bit of an older version and a little bit different, but older yeah. version of Roger. But you could certainly say related. Mm, yes. But here's the thing. When he was cast as Grimsby, the animators it- had no clue. Was it a different set of directors than had been working there and they just didn't know the history of yes they they That's did not amazing. know and so he's like i just need to tell you guys by I, the way i've done this i've before. done this before i i i voiced roger in in 100 mile dimensions and they're like what this is crazy but uh yeah that's the little he's information good. about ben wright who mm-hmm. uh was grimsby uh, grimsby okay and we get some sailors in a pretty stereotypical sailor striped shirt kind of thing with a hat and especially for your european kind of sailor um i'd say in fact these ones almost look like they'd be related to gondoliers almost like if you if you like picture a venetian gondolier and like their striped shirt and their hat and their like their neckerchief you're pretty close to these sailors um especially the striped shirt i'd say is closer to the image i'm thinking of with with a, a venetian gondolier I mean, stereotypically, I don't know what they actually look like. Right. Not been to Venice. But um, <laughs> if I were to, you know, if someone were to draw a gondolier, I would expect it to look something like this. And it's not quite what you see as the default pirate look, um, but a little bit related, especially a striped shirt um, in this way, which I, I bet is pretty consistent with Peter Pan. Um, I think Smee has... In, in the animated Peter Pan from Disney, Smee has this uh, blue and white shirt. I believe um, so. It's not exactly the guys, same, but, but similar. it's similar. There is kind of this default sailor attire that we've established for films, which I think is completely Im- fabricated. It's completely invented for some early uh, live action films with right. pirates. Um, but we have it here. And and it, it works. We get the idea. Yeah. These are, these are sailors. They look clean cut enough to not be pirates, but they are definitely sailors and and one of them's got his eye like permanently closed for whatever reason for whatever reason and then he he's talking about king triton and eric doesn't know anything about mermaids apparently so i guess he doesn't get out on the ocean much i would have thought he'd he'd have heard more but maybe they're just doing it for the audience yeah i, I obviously it is for the audience it it does make eric seem a little naive but we'll let it slide and the sailor uh, so Grimsby challenges all of this, and the sailor gestures at him with a dead fish, which, from shot to shot, looks less dead uh, than it does in some other shots. Like, he's pulling, like, the the sailor grabs it out of a net, and then he shakes it at Grimsby, and the fish, like, reacts to Grimsby. Like, it's having a little bit of an interaction, a facial interaction. And then it cuts to a, a shot farther away. And the fish looks completely dead, like cartoon dead fish. It's so, and then, and a lot of it has to do with the eyes, because yes, when it's, it's zoomed in eyes. on Grimsby and it has, the fish, it has, it has lively, lively animated eyes. eyes. And then, and it then it to goes like back dead fish doll dead. eyes. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know. <laughs> yeah. One other note, I just want to make one note. So I mentioned we've been watching the Little Mermaid animated series, which is set a few years before this. But Eric does make an appearance in the first season, uh, which (laughs) we just finished the first season of it. There's three seasons. 
Eric has beefed up quite a bit from that oh, animated version. He was scrawny and thin and and like weedy, like reedy maybe is, is but like he doesn't he does not look like he looks now except that his outfit was the same and his hair is the same. But also the animation animation of, styles are pretty different. Are, is different but also of him done, particularly. The show was, was done in like 93 and then it was set a few years before uh, so you get, you know, these earlier adventures of Ariel. Ariel looks about the same. In fact, I would say in the show, they may have made her a little bit bustier even. And Eric does not look the same at all. <laughs> Eric does not look like she's two years younger in the show than she is in this. Eric looks like he's four or five years younger in the show than he is right here. Because he looks yeah. like solid, strong, like he works on the ship. And like he has a heroic... Um, silhouette. Uh, if you, you know, you take where his shoulders, hips, and and you know his stance and everything. Like that's a heroic s- silhouette in the show. That was a scrawny silhouette. So scrawny. <laughs> like it was. Like we were very freaked out. And his and the animation of him and his face just looks <laughs> like his head was too big. I mean, Ariel doesn't see him. At she just steals all. his she, shoes. She just sees the back of him, but she doesn't see his face. But we Which see is his good, face. Because I don't but, know if she would have gone for him if she had seen him. His face is a little bit frightening in the TV series, but yeah. in this but version, he's, he's, he's beefed up quite a bit. So eat your vegetables, go to the gym, stay healthy, and it'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, I'm all out of notes. As am I. That's all we have for you today. We are part of the Dueling Genre Network. You can find us and many other podcasts at DuelingGenre.com. There you will also find a link to a Patreon page where you can support all the Dueling Genre productions. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at DizMinute, on email as DisneyAnimationMinute at gmail.com, and on Facebook at the Disney Animation Minute Secret Essential Listener Society or Damsels Group. Until tomorrow, thank you for making us part of your world. <laughs>